We thank you that thus far you have helped us. Thank you that on a daily basis, because of your mercy, you are taking us higher and higher. Father, accept our thanks in Jesus' name. As we go into your word, Lord, today we pray that the power in your word will go forth and bring healings to your children. Healings physical, healings mental, healings material, healings marital, healings spiritual. Let your word bring healings to us, Lord. At the end of it all, let your name be glorified. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, wave to someone near you and say, good morning, God bless you. We are continuing with our series on going higher. And now we are at part 62. We are looking at First Kings chapter 19, from verse 15 to 17. First Kings 19, Proverbs 15 to 17, which we have been looking at for a couple of weeks now, but we see have something to learn from it. And the Lord said unto him, that's unto Elijah, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escaped the sword of Hazael shall say who slay, and him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. We've been talking about anointing overflowing, but then We've also spoken about anointed swords, etc., etc., but we want to look at one little bit in verse 16 that we have uh, not discussed yet. And that is that Elijah was asked to anoint Elisha. Anoint your replacement. Anoint your legacy. There are certain instincts that the Almighty God had placed in man, powerful instincts. And probably the most powerful of them all is the instinct of preservation. 
a hunger, a strong drive for preservation. In Genesis chapter 25, from verse 29 to 34, Genesis 25, verse 29 to 34, you read the story of Esau getting hungry and being willing to sell even his birthright for a plate of pottage. I know many of us have rebuked him. We have said all manners of things against him. But you need to note what he said in verse 32 of that passage, Genesis 25. If you read verse 32, he said, of what use is bad right to me if I die? I want to live. I want to be preserved if I'm not alive of what use to me is but right. In Judges chapter 15 from verse 14 to 19, Judges 15, 14 to 19, Samson had just gotten a huge victory over the Philistines. With the jawbone of Anas, he had destroyed a thousand of the enemies. And then he became thirsty. And he cried unto God. Of what use is victory to me if I die of thirst? Victory is meaningless if I am not preserved. In First Peter chapter two, verse two, First Peter chapter two, verse two, the Bible says, as newborn babes. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word of God. Why? That we might be preserved. Nobody teaches a child how to eat. Nobody teaches a child how to suck milk. It comes instinctively. The desire to live is strong, very strong in man. It takes a very, very devastating tragedy or situation for a man to say, I will commit suicide. It is when somebody had considered everything and see there's no hope anywhere, that's when he can say, well, maybe I better go. 
There is an instinct called the instinct of self-preservation. Every man has that instinct. That's what keeps us alive. There was this funny incident that happened when they were beginning to test uh, all manners of medicine to combat coronavirus. And we all read that the woman they were testing, that they used the, the jab upon first, was a woman who was already 101 years old. Yet she wanted to live. Instinct of self-preservation, very strong. Following almost immediately after the instinct of self-preservation, and uh, by the way, may I uh, pray for you who are listening to me that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you shall live. You will not die before your time. But follow immediately after the instinct of self-preservation is the instinct of propagation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, in the first prayer or blessing that God pronounced on human beings is be fruitful and multiply. You want to reproduce yourself. In Genesis 24 verse 1 to 9, Genesis 24 from verse 1 to 9, Abraham decided to make arrangement for Isaac to get a wife. Why? So that Isaac can be multiplied. Abraham can be propagated. You remember in Genesis 22 from verse 15 to 18, Genesis 22 from verse 15 to 18, God had promised Abraham, in blessing I will bless thee. In multiplying, I will multiply your seed. The instinct to propagate, the instinct to be fruitful, the instinct to multiply yourself is an extremely strong instinct. How strong is it? Genesis chapter 30, from verse 1 to 2. Genesis 30, from verse 1 to 2. When Rachel discovered that it looks as if she wasn't going to get a child, she cried to the husband and said, Give me a child or I die. In other words, he says, If I'm not going to be propagated, I better commit suicide. When finally in verses 22 through to 24 of the same Genesis 30, Genesis 30, 22 to 24, when finally God remembered Rachel, 
And the Almighty God will remember those of you who are trusting him for the fruit of the womb. And she gave birth to the first boy. She said, I will get more. I'm not going to stop with one. That explains the issue of adoption. In Genesis chapter 16 from verse 1 to 2, Genesis 16 from verse 1 to 2, when it appeared to Sarah as if she wasn't going to be able to produce a child herself, she told the husband, let me get a child by proxy. Go in to my maid servant. After all, she's mine. And if she gets a child, that child will be mine. Oh, when you read John chapter 3, verse 16, John 3, verse 16, you will hear the Bible say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God sow his only begotten Son? This is very deep mystery. But God did that because in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Romans 8, verse 29, we discover that he did that so that the one he sowed might become the firstborn of many children. So when God has only one begotten son, he decided to adopt more by sowing the one he had. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15 tells us, we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Galatians 4, verse 6 says, Because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Every adopted child has equal standing in the sight of God as the one who is begotten. Now, why am I telling you all this? It's because Elijah had no begotten son. He wasn't married. And God is telling him now, go and adopt one. Elijah was the adopted son of Elijah. There is nothing wrong in adoption. As a matter of fact, it agrees completely with the plan of God. 
If you read Second King chapter two, and you read it from verse one to twelve, Second King chapter two from verse one to twelve, you will discover that as Elijah and Elisha were traveling, whenever they go to a place, the sons of the prophet called sons of the prophets, but they referred to Elijah as master. They came to Elisha and said, do you know God is about to take your master away? And he kept on saying, I know, keep your mouth shut. But by the time you get to from verse, uh, verse 9 to 12 of Second Kings chapter 2, you hear Elisha cry, my father, my father. There is a difference between my master, my master, and my father. So God sent Elijah. Oh, anoint this fellow to be king. Anoint that fellow to be king. But go and anoint your own son. Go adopt your son and anoint him. That brings us to the issue of legacy. What you leave behind says a lot about you. In Exodus chapter 20 from verse 3 to 6, Exodus 20 from verse 3 to 6, God tells us that when he's reacting to our attitude towards him, he says his reaction will go from children to grandchildren, even to fourth generations. God is interested in who you leave behind. In Genesis 28 from verse 10 to 16, Genesis 28 from verse 10 to 16, when Jacob was running away from Esau and he, he, he had a dream, remember what God said to him in the dream? I'm the God of your father, Abraham. He traced him back to Abraham. God is a God of legacy. He's interested in your children. He's interested in your children, children. It is important, therefore, that you take good care of your children. Anoint your legacy. Anoint your future. 
In, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, the Bible says Joshua, the son of Nun, biologically, he was the son of Nun. Spiritually, he was the son of Moses, was full of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Lay your hands on your children. Pass your anointing to them. Joshua failed to anoint his own successor. That's why you find in Joshua chapter 21, verse 25, Joshua 20, sorry, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, Judges 21, verse 25, Bible says there was no king in Israel, and everybody did as they considered fit, because Joshua failed to anoint his legacy. It's a very sad thing that Samuel, as great a prophet as he was, did not anoint his children. As a result, 1 Samuel chapter 8 from verse 1 to 5, 1 Samuel 8, 1 to 5, the elder officer came to him and said, Sir, you are great. You are good. But your children are not like you. Please, therefore, before you die, give us a king. When you study the, the link between Paul and Timothy, you see how serious it is that you should anoint your legacy, your adopted child, because Timothy was also an adopted child of Paul. Paul never married, so he had no biological child. But do you know, if you study the Bible clearly, you will see that Paul wrote two books dedicated to his son. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he said unto Timothy, my own son, my own son. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, from verse 2 to 6, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 to 6, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. And then he went on to say, stir up the gifts of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. Why must you anoint your son 
Beloved, why must you anoint your disciple? Why must you anoint the child? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, If you train up a child in the way you should go, it won't depart from it when it's grown. Yes, we know not all children will yield to teaching. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Proverbs 29, verse 1 makes it clear. Some of these children will be hard-headed. But your anointing can destroy yokes. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Isaiah 10, 27. Anointing can destroy yokes. Anointing can break even the hard heart. Of children. And the most important thing you need to know is this. When you study the story of the ten virgins, in Matthew 25 from verse 1 to 12, Matthew 25 from verse 1 to 12, you discover that uh, to make it all the way. Wisdom alone might not be enough. There might be the need for extra oil. Holiness alone might not be enough. The ten virgins are holy. They are pure. But only those with extra oil made it in. We brings me to the conclusion today. When you read Acts chapter 2 from verse 37 to 39, Acts 2, 37 to 39, you will see the need for your children to be thoroughly born again. Only then can your anointing be of any effect on them. Because Peter told the people, you want the gift of the Holy Spirit? Then first of all, you must repent and be baptized. There's no use putting anointing on someone who is not washed. If you have not taken your bath and you are using the best cream in the world, on your body, you will still smell. You must repent. You must be baptized before the anointing can work. Which is talking to those of you who have been listening, who are not yet a child of God, and you want God's anointing. Repentance is step number one. So if you have not repented, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I beg you today, in your own interest, because anointing can destroy yokes. If you want the yokes in your life to be destroyed by anointing, repent. 
and then seek the nearest gospel church and get baptized. And then the anointing of God can be available to you to destroy every yoke in your life. Let us pray. So if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, why don't you bow your heads wherever you are and cry unto him and tell him, I'm surrendering my life to you today. Please let your blood wash me clean so that I can become a brand new creature in you so that I too might qualify for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, my Father, my God, I'm praying, thanking you for your word. Thank you for the teaching of today. And I'm thanking you especially for those who have decided to surrender their lives to you. Father, please receive them. Let your blood wash away their sins. Save their souls. Receive them into the family of God. And Lord God Almighty, let your anointing come upon them. And I pray that each time they cry unto you, you answer them by fire. And those of us who are already your children, please pour fresh oil on us. And give us the grace to anoint our children. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. <laughs>